Blog Talk Radio. This is Hodali uh, Scott Sewell. I am going to be hosting this Legacy and Identity radio show. Um, I'm very pleased that uh, our friend Stacy Webb has allowed me to be able to take part in this and to be able to um, come take part in the show more in a active role. I haven't did this before as far as... Uh, radio and things like that so i'll do my best i'm learning the ins and outs of it stacy's did a lot to try and help me and i'm hoping that i'll uh, be able to show her show her uh that i'm up to that i'm gonna um try to link her in as well uh into the conversation she's uh she's gonna be kind of uh, helping me out as i learn the ropes here hello uh stacy are you there Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Hey, hey. All right. I'm glad I, I got through to you. It's still a little bit new. <laughs> um, oh, you're going to do fine. I hope so. I hope so. And you said maybe uh, someone else will be coming on too? Absolutely. Um, Scott Withrow from the Melungeon Heritage Association Um I had invited him to speak tonight because they have their um, London Heritage Association union gathering every summer in in mid to late June. And so he is on vacation right now, and he wasn't sure if he could make it, but he is here with us. Um, He's going to call in and tell us all about their activities. Um, I'm so excited that, that you're taking the radio show and that you will be having a consistent you know, every few weeks, you'll. I, I think we decided on the first and the third Thursday of every yes, month. Ma'am. But that may change. That may change. To, you know, tentative on your schedules, and where you can keep your um, our Sito community, which is tell us uh, tell us what it stands for, because I always forget the last few initials. And go ahead. Um. Ajito is really a tribal organization that was organized in 2003 as a, a more of a freestanding organization. For decades, um, the families and the community that we come from here that some people call the Dominicers of Florida that basically is a, a several different families of, of Chiro Indian that migrated down from South Carolina and kind of maintained a separate community out out in the the kind of the fringe areas here for a long time. Uh, we we organized officially in 2003 as a, you know, a formal government, uh, contacted Bureau of Indian Affairs, this kind of stuff. And the name that, that has been used is the Apalachicola River Community of Indians Tribal Organization. And so the, you know, the short that we say a lot of times, Argito, which is just short for that, uh, it's mainly Chiraw Indian families, like I said, but there's several other lines of ancestry that come in from different sources as well that kind of make the community a, a unique community here in Florida that, that we touched on in our 2010 book from, from back in time in Mara called The Indians in North Florida. So that's our, uh, you know, that's kind of the name we're known by here in the, in the panhandle of Florida and that we, we interact with Bureau of Indian Affairs and other groups and stuff with. But some of the older people would say, oh, that's just them Dominickers. <laughs> you kind of have a new name for a new day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we um, – but you're having a genealogical conference in June 11th. Is that correct? Saturday, we are. June 11th. We are. June 11th. That's right. Saturday. It's a, a, a genealogy – we have an annual – gathering for 20 years now that was focused on the, the the politics as i was speaking of in a way of reorganization of our community into a more formal 
streamlined, responsive uh, organization and government. But this is mainly focused on a genealogy as, as community by community, myself, my cousin uh, Stephen Pony Hill, who's wrote for Back in Time and Mirror a lot, and several other leaders from the panhandle here have worked to to kind of try to get all of the historic communities that have an identity as these mixed-race communities into one organization because we share a common root and we have a common experience during segregation. And since then, it's been some have been more organized than others, and so that's a big part of our work of the last 20 years is to be able to facilitate what communities and families that will organize and will try to better themselves to to do that. We still walk uphill when it comes to um, elder generations of uh, the families having difficulty um, really understanding the, the, the milieu that created our community to where you may have identified as American Indian yourself, but the local law enforcement, the local county commission, the, the local powers that be a lot of times saw you in a a light more akin to mulatto, mixed race, all all different names that they used for you, uh, anything but to call you Indian. But like we've shown in our legal research here about the legal history of this community, you have many court cases repeatedly where they say, well, these aren't mulattoes, these are Indians. But if you don't have a treaty status like a federally recognized tribe, you, you, you're kind of on the short end of the stick. Absolutely, absolutely, and we find the same with, uh, I represent the Red Mountain community, and um, Scott, of course, you know, represents the Melungeon community, and uh, I don't, I, I know that we've all had our struggles uphill, and it's fabulous to see that, you know, your work in the last 20 years is coming to nutrition, as well as we have made so many biological connections as far as the new DNA testings have gone that we know that we're related biologically. We just have lost the paper trails, and uh, right. we've forgotten one another. And so that is so important to me personally, actually, uh, because I have been suspectful since, you know, many, many years, 15 or 20 years, that all of these groups are actually, in fact, related in some way or another. And it was through our Native American ties, our tribal ties, that we are related because we were very diverse people who arrived here. And the, the common bond and thread through our people is actually our Native American culture, be it Chera, be it the Pony, be it... Um, uh, we were finding a lot of Apache among our people, Canary Islanders. And I think it's very important. My main goal and message, and I, I said this in our newly published book, Redbone, uh, uh, The Redbone Chronicles, uh, is that we, it's time certainly for us to, it's difficult to imagine, but we absolutely need to approach our genealogy and approach our research in a tribal context because these were tribal people there i believe you were the one that sat down and told me a number of years ago that you said stacy um there's there's several ways that an ethnologist determines whether your group is is tribal culturally and that is number one do they intermarry among each other Number two, do they migrate together? And we right. can absolutely say that, yes, some people, some deep pockets of these groups uh, in large communities are sporadically across the, the entire coast of the east coast of America all the way to California and up to, the, up to Canada. Uh, they were, some of our people were very nomadic in spirit and, and kept on going, and, and we dealt with a lot of oppression that kept us on the move. And I do talk about our migrations in Carolina Genesis, a book also edited by Scott Withrow, who's with us, but uh, a number of years ago from Back in Time, and Frank and Mary were still with Back in Time Publishing. And I talk about, you know, the different laws that affected our people 
and and why some of our groups, besides the fact that they were countrymen like your Nimrod Doyle, and right. uh, and uh, all of them, you know, the group, the men. I'm trying to think the Conyers. I believe they were probably countrymen, and um, they kept, you know, in the Indian fur trade, they were. Uh, Walk between two worlds, between the white man's world and a, an Indian, a culturally Indian uh, tribal world, and so they dealt. Right. They were guides and they were entrepreneurs, uh, you know, who married among these groups and had many, many children. In some cases, uh, more than one wife, and uh, these sorts of things. And so, uh, we're when we base our genealogical research on a normal. A white, say white, colonial family who would have been documented from the time that they arrived until the present day. Um, we're unlike those those people. Uh, though some of these men may have been white, uh, they have many offspring and descendants who live among us today who were not white. And uh, right. so we we really need to approach. I think it's imperative that all of our groups and whoever they may be, I would hope that in the future other groups would step forward, the Brass Ankles, the Guineas, um, who I can't think right now, <laughs> the Moas, you know, because yeah. we know we're related to the Moa Choctaw. You know, we find that female mtDNA from ancient India and ancient Iran in the Moa Choctaw, in the PD Indians of uh, North and South Carolina, the Melungeons of Tennessee, as well as the Red Bones in Louisiana and East Texas. And, and we followed that trail all the way into South America. So we, we really have to misunderstand that this group, uh, the remnants of those are spread out. All of the right. Days. That's and very, so, very true. Yeah. Very true. I think and that so Scott so, is with us, like you said. Uh, yes. I, I, I believe I clicked the right button to, to get him in, and so I guess this is that time of year when the Melungeon folks come together, eh, Scott? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, it's uh, coming up um, uh, June twenty-fourth uh, and twenty-fifth. Uh, and uh, are you hearing me? I am. I am hearing you, sir. Oh, okay, great. Great, good. Uh, 24th, 25th, we usually meet the last weekend in June, um, and we meet <clears throat> somewhere, um, usually in Appalachia. Uh, it could be other places, but we, we've started going back to Big Stone Gap, uh, Virginia, um, uh, every other year now. And when we're at Big Stone Gap, um, we always go over to uh, Vardy, Tennessee, um, and the core uh, Melungeon uh, group there that was in Vardy, uh, Newman's Ridge, uh, in Tennessee, which is uh, just just southwest of Big Stone Gap, Virginia. Uh, well, that's exciting to so hear. I know I, for years I've I've admired the the Melungeon Heritage Association's work and all of the research and it's just been a, a real encouraging thing for other communities to see how much can be done in so short a time, you know, over the years as the, as the Melungeon Heritage Association has, has, has done. It's pretty, pretty cool. Well, we've been meeting, this is the 20th union. We, um, I, the, from the first one, um, the first one was never a reunion, so they called it a union, and we've just continued with that name. And so right. um, each one is a conference or a union, and we have speakers and uh, wonderful slate of speakers for Saturday the uh, 25th. And um, uh, on the 24th, as I say, we go over to Vardy, uh, Tennessee, Um Named after Vardaman Collins, who was one of the Melungeon, first Melungeon, uh, Melungeons in there, he and his, his family. And um, um, we, um, Mike Gilly there with the the um, uh, community college, um, 
Mountain Empire Community College has has been welcoming, and um, each each year we go there, and uh, he has a pre-conference workshop this year uh, on genealogy also, um, separate from our union, but but coming the day before, and we're we're encouraging people to go to the union to to take advantage advantage of uh, of uh, Mike's workshop also at at uh, Mountain Empire Community College. So, it's important th- to have so that three kind days. of support. Yeah, it is. Yes, uh, that's where we have our archives. Our um, at Mountain Empire Community College, it's good to have those at one place. I think so. We've we've decided that yeah. in the last few years. That's great. That's uh, that's encouraging for us here doing our, our work in Florida because we've, like I said, we've been kind of. This was our twentieth annual meeting as a separate, uh, separate community meeting, and I kind of know what you mean as far as uh, uh, you, you see the evolution of it over the years with different constituencies and different goals and um, different visitors and different interest groups taking a, a notice of what's going on and. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed 20 years ago that to the north, kinsmen, you know, from the mountains would have been doing the exact same thing. But I think that's pretty cool. And it's a sign of, the, uh, in a way, the growing awareness of our heritage and of the growing importance of preserving what is if there's going to be what has been. Because every bit of genealogy, every bit of oral history, every bit of uh, family connections and lore, cultural traditions, all these things are on the line and as we continue to diversify as americans uh it's it, you know it's uh it's in danger that some of these things will be lost or will never be known and that if we in, in our time and in our place don't do the the work of getting it preserved and finding uh like you said archives that are willing to help us uh store it and and uh synthesize it into understandable uh data that can be, you know, distributed to folks and they'll say, okay, I understand this history. If we don't do it, who will, you know? Well, that's true. That's true. And and we need to pass that on, too. And uh, 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 interest uh, younger people also to become involved in, in doing this so it won't be nothing will be lost. I'm more um, into history and uh uh, the traditions and culture and and so forth. I but I, I I look up to people like Stacy, who's done so much work in the uh, genetics, DNA, and so forth. She's contributing quite a bit in 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 her way, and including history too. So right, she she sure has, and herself with carrying on the work of Professor Sweet and all of the people who are involved in different places in this really kind of overlooked work that uh, this, this to me should be further up on the agenda of a lot of different organizations and having just left academia myself last year, I'm very surprised at the, the lack of interest you would think there would be from uh, anthropology departments, sociology, you know, conferences, things like this in the, the, uh, the subject of hybrid communities like we come from, and I guess it's it's inherent on us to help get those that would be interested uh, uh, in contact with the, the people and the events and such that uh, facilitate the, the making of a good relationship and the strengthening of, of both because of it. Well, well, I agree also, and I think that some of the very wise uh, people in, in – um, Academics and and others, the ones who are, are wise, realize the the, the importance of of um, the history you're talking about of community his communities and local history. Right. It's, it's the the textbooks are are fine, but uh, sometimes there's a lot there's a lot left out, and uh, and we're 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 doing a lot by by researching and. Uh, Keeping that out there, and as Stacy is too, with her publishing. Right, right. That's a, a, a very, very important thing that she's doing, leading the way like that. And and I, I know you appreciate it. I know I do. And lots of my relatives uh, who got to meet her at our last conference, uh, they all appreciated uh, the 
her presence there and, and bringing books and materials and stuff like that. And they look forward to learning more about how our connections to the other communities, you know, how they, where they come from, because we have the same last names. A lot of times you'll find Gibson's yeah. here, you'll find Gibson's there and you'll find Gibson's in almost every one of these communities or Goins or, you know, a dozen yeah. names is common names, you know? Yeah. And, um, um, uh, you know, I enjoy coming out there. I came to uh, the Redbone Conference quite a number of years ago. I enjoyed that, learned a lot, and uh, I, I hope um, you and uh, and Stacy has been certainly to the uh, um, London unions. I hope hope you can come sometime and, and be part of that. I definitely, I definitely like to come coming up. Um. I wanted to. I would. Um, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Um, Scott, could you tell us who is lined up on the agenda or the topics? Maybe the the uh, the, yes. the titles of of the topics that are being spoken on at the at Big Stone Gap this year. Okay. Well, first, Vardy Vardy was a, a, a mission school by the. Uh, Presbyterians that came in and started a school and a church there in Barty, and the church has become the the Presbyterians later left, but uh, the church has become a museum. And, and Drew Anna Overby, who's uh, descended from Melungeons in that that uh, valley uh, area, will will come and uh, speak with us Saturday, or Friday rather, the twenty fourth, the twenty fifth Saturday. Um, uh, one of the speakers is Dr. Laura Tuckman. Um, she will be uh, speaking on um, her latest research, and uh, uh, I'm not sure exactly what that will be, but she's speaking on her, her research, very thorough researcher. So I look forward to it. Wayne Winkler actually is introducing us. As, if there's a keynote speech for this or talk his his is one because he always places uh, Melungeon history in, in uh, uh, the right context I think and uh, he, he is very knowledgeable of, uh, he's with public radio there in the area and uh, is a wonderful speaker um, uh, Wayne Winkler and also we have uh for the first time speaking, um, um, Stephanie Music, uh, who is our uh, secretary of MHA, um, she's speaking about the early school system and uh, related to the Melungeons in that in that area of um, Tennessee and Virginia. Um, Laura, by the way, Laura Tugman. Who is speaking? As I said, is our newsletter editor. She's doing a wonderful job with the newsletter. We just started it this year, and um, <clears throat> we have some excer- excerpts from that sometimes on our website. Um, the the last speakers actually are uh, Wayne again, the last speaker of the day, and S. J. Arthur. S.J. is our uh, former president. She's president emeritus. And they will um, be speaking about the history of the Melungeon Heritage Association. Both have been uh, with the group since the very beginning. Um, I I came the first year, the first union, but I was not a, you know, a, 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 a officer or anything the NR and the executive committee, but they've been planning and working since the very first. So, so they will both speak in the, uh, in the, the history, um, of the MHA. So, so it promises to be a wonderful, wonderful weekend, uh, wonderful Friday and Saturday for those that like to come. Wow. That's, uh, that's exciting to know it's carrying on. That's, that's very encouraging. Definitely. Yeah, well, is there we, anything we, else you want to let us know that's going on? Uh, I can't 
I can't think of anything I need to add uh, unless you have a have a question um I can answer um don't know what the union will be next year, but we are aware, but uh, we're in the planning stages. But this year, uh, as I say, Big Stone Gap, uh, wonderful place in, in the Appalachians. And they'll have pictures uh, and such like that after the union's over on the website, Scott? Uh, probably we'll put some up, yes. We have some up there now. Um, uh, we have have a number of uh, Photos. Um, uh, we may redesign the website someday to make it a little more uh, easier to put things up. But um, right now we have have a number of uh, photos up of um, of uh, our artists who who um, uh, drew or, or painted um, some of the what she remembered uh, on uh, Newman's Ridge and. Um, hmm. um, so you can go on on our site and um, uh, just just Google. I'm, I'm not at home. I don't have the exact uh, website with me, but just Google Melungeon Heritage Association, and it should come right up there. Our website. It's pretty easy to find. I'm glad to hear that because as an artist myself, I I've always felt like artwork produced by the people was actually a better um, record of their identity than any photograph or anything from, you know, when it comes from within, you're seeing a true expression of Melungeon identity or Native American identity or tribal identities when you see the art of the of the people themselves and it, it reflects what they value and how they see the world and stuff. And that's, that's good to know you guys have that on there. Well, I think this is very true with her. I can't think of her first name right all the time. Uh, but Miss Johnson, I knew her. She she uh, passed away a few years ago, but uh, uh, she she grew up Melungeon and uh, grew up on I believe Newman's Ridge, and um, this is a, a real feeling for the area from from her paintings that we posted. Yes, they are beautiful. I I did want to comment that I believe the Melungeon Heritage Associations website is um I'm trying to punch it up now. It's it's Melund it's ww dot Melungeon M E L U N G E O N dot Ning M I N G dot com C O M and so you can get and you can see Miss Johnson's portrait or what I guess they would be uh, her artwork and and they are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I, I think that's is it Ming or B I N G Bing? Seems like it no, might Ming. be Bing. Ming. Yeah, no, Ming. it's that's Ming. Right. Yeah, N- you're, you're correct. N I N G. Yes, sir. And, you're um, correct. You can yes. <laughs> right. And also, um, you will have books available for sale at the Millennium oh, yes, Heritage. Yes. Yes, because that's always wonderful Certainly. to catch up with with those books that really hone in on that on your Melungeon subject, and they you all guys always do a fabulous job of having a great variety of books there and for sale, and so that's always wonderful. And some, a lot of times you can meet the authors, and uh, while you're there, and a lot of people. Uh, do enjoy Big Stone Gap because it is absolutely a fabulous place. It is an amazing place, you know, and a historical place for our people as well. I know that um, uh, one of the Perkins progenitors of the Red Bones, uh, old Jock Perkins, that's where he moved to, and and we believe he died at Stone Gap. So it's Mm a very historical place for a lot of our people. Mm -hmm. And so, and um, so, I'm glad that I'm not sure I can come. I'm going to try really hard to come, but I have a. We are writing the Goins book, as I've said before here, and um, uh-huh. we're doing a reunion, a research reunion, because of all the recent developments in the Y DNA testing that we took and uh, the crazy. Um, 
connections that we've been making have been kind of a shock to all of us, and so we didn't quite understand it. And besides all the new information, we've been digging through old information and, you know, for clues to the new information, something that we might have overlooked previously. And so we're really yeah. working hard to get that done. And I believe that Pony uh, is also going to uh, – he's – I did because Scott Withrow, you had tried to work on Drury Goings for the Goings book, yeah. and that didn't quite pan out as well as we had hoped. What uh-huh. I did is I went in and did some research on the South Carolina Revolutionary War Goings men and and worked through these men, what, where they went, and some of their genealogy is the best that I, I could. Um because they all, it seems like those Goins men in that era, you know, pre-Revolutionary War, were not well documented except for their military mm-hmm. service after their military service. And so Pony agreed to go back on his, because I found so many of the the Goins men there in, in South Carolina, the Cherraw District and Catawba yeah. River and the Congaree and all of these men that were related or closely related uh, ended up taking Revolutionary War bounty land there. But they it seems like the, the great majority of those men fought under Colonel Sumter. And so because mm-hmm. his chapter was about the Sumter Goins, the old issues and, and the smiling Indians and those Cherraw descendants there, he's going mm-hmm. to elaborate some more and he's doing some research on on um, Colonel Sumter. And so that promises to be a little more in the Goins book than we had originally anticipated that came, you know, from the new DNA findings. And uh, so where I'm going to be, uh, the Red Bones are going to be in Nacogdoches, Texas, June 8th through the, well, the 12th, and we're leaving the 13th early in the morning, so through the 12th, and we are going to Liberty, Texas, which is uh, Old El Orcasicac, uh which was an old, old Spanish town um, that was actually the capital of, of, of Texas at one time. And so uh, mainly Indians live there. They're at the mission. And our group of Cherokees show up with cheap bowls in, from Arkansas. They had come out of Illinois and Missouri Territory into uh, east, back into East Texas and, and Louisa, West Louisiana borderland. And they concentrated around there. And those were actually the location of Sam Houston's original Grand Cane Plantation. And uh, all of his consort or his wife, Talihana Rogers, who was also related to these, to our family, these Cherokee people, uh, is all of her family and her, our family are buried together there. And so we're going to go and try to find Nancy Johnson's going burial. Um, because she was buried at Chief Joseph, or Chief Field Cemetery there. And so we're really excited. We've got a lot of things to do. And then I am going to be in Vernon Parish, Louisiana, on Saturday, June 11th. And I'm going at 10 a.m. I'm going to also have a few books there for sale from back in time. And I'm giving a presentation on a forthcoming book called GTT, Red Bones Gone to Texas. And so uh, that's a two-hour. And so we hope that anybody in the Vernon Parish area or west southwest Louisiana would be able to join us there. It's it's an amazing presentation, if I do say so myself. <laughs> it has been honored by uh, Humanities Texas and featured and and we've received grants for that presentation and we hope to give it and we hope that it's well received by the red bones in the area and also historical enthusiasts while we are in 
Nacogdoches, we will be uh, presenting to the master's master historian, and uh, we're not sure if his assistant is going to come or if he's going to be with us via uh, Skype or something like this. We'll we'll do our best to arrange it, but we are going to give some new presentation on some of the DNA findings for William Goins of Nacogdoches, who is quite the Texas legend and was quoted as Sam Houston called him his right-hand man uh, during the Texas Revolution. And so we're very proud that he is also included in our families from Revolutionary War era South Carolina. And so we're, we're going to present some evidences that might straighten his legend out a little bit because uh, it's, it's been skewed over the years and he had no no descendants. But that's what I'm going to do. And, and thank you guys for... Um, or, you know, Scott, for taking over the, the, the radio show and on a more consistent basis because, um, you know, I, I'm a researcher. I'm a genealogist. That's what I love to do. And though this is very important work, and I know it is, um, you know, I, I would like to spend more time, and I just don't have it. And so I'm so looking forward to your radio show coming up uh, twice a month, first and third Saturday, or first and third Thursdays of every month, and you're going to invite different guests and 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 review books and do like a little NPR kind of thing. Uh, you know, tell us what you have in the future. Or well, uh, like you show. like you were saying, I uh, I have what I'd like to do is kind of update what's been happening over the last month or two in the news relating to not just. Native American community because that's really your largest mixed race community in a way and that most Native Americans are, are mixed race people and that's a, a understood part of the Indian community but also mixed race in general as our society is becoming increasingly diverse the people themselves become diverse the families and the communities and so I'm keeping up with as much research as possible new research papers from scholarly journals um, just pop culture stuff things going on with that, new books, new movies, um, some uh, recent, you know, scientific uh, research gains as far as genetics and stuff, a lot of interesting stuff like that, as well as the events like we've been talking about with uh, your trip and with the uh, Melungeon Union and stuff like that. So that's that's kind of what I'm wanting to have is a several parts to each show relating to these different areas and all recent news, you know, being – uh, at the top, and then new uh, research, new books, new television shows, stuff like this. So I, uh, I'm going to throw out there some of it just to kind of uh, uh, give a, an idea of what I'm aiming at. In that, during this last month, there was several big developments going on with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and with groups that uh, some of the petitioning tribes. When you dig down beneath the surface of the of the last few decades uh, developments of Indian tribal organizational structure that you'll see now, you'll find these, these old hybrid communities that really had a different uh, organizational structure than a modern Indian tribe. You might say the Georgia tribe of Cherokees uh, received their denial by Bureau of Indian affairs for federal recognition uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so they're, as a community, you know, they'll be dealing with the fallout of that. Um, this isn't a new thing. The majority of tribes that petition get denied federal recognition. For some of them, it kind of uh, spells the end in a way, but for others, it seems to reinvigorate them in their uh, pursuit of uh, recognition. Moa Band of Choctaws being the perfect example of a community that wasn't slowed a bit by uh, a decision by Bureau of Interfairs that they didn't meet the seven requirements for federal acknowledgement. They, they, reorganized, re, re, regrouped, as you say, in the military and charged forward and doing very well as a community without federal recognition. Thank you. But that was something that just happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, just a week ago, the, the big appropriations bill that uh, an appropriation bill blocked the new federal regulations as far as federal recognition goes that um, the Many Indian advocates in the Congress and, and up there were trying to get through that would reform the Bureau of Indian Affairs process for federal recognition, 
which has been backlogged for years, has been a, a real travesty, really. That appropriations bill uh, was prevented, you know, from moving forward and stuff with these reforms uh, because of, you know, certain certain uh, lobbies and certain groups in Congress saying, well, you know, we're not going to deal with that. We're not going to even touch that till we get these other things, these, these other issues uh, straightened out. And uh, I believe that the dispute was over the Confederate flag and legislations about that in these uh, large bills that this one was included in. But it was a real uh, disappointing thing for a lot of the petitioning tribes because they're, that's that much longer they're going to be awaiting a decision and stuff like this. And even though BI has done a lot of work in the last few years to try and make a new, more streamlined, more responsive process, especially compared to 10, 15 years ago when it was just molasses in winter, now it's beginning to go forward into a better uh, process, but it's still, like I said, this this is a perfect example. Just a week ago, you know, it'll it'll take months to get that back on track and again get it to where it needs to be to hopefully get it passed. So that's politics, you know. But still, that was another thing going on. Uh, good news for some of our people in a way in South Louisiana, the Biloxi Chittimacca Choctaw tribe that lives there, down there on the Isle de Jean Charles uh, area. They received a $48 million grant to help relocate their tribal village from the very small island off the coast of Louisiana, about 50 miles south of, of New Orleans. They received these funds to try and relocate their families, dozens of families that live on this very small island that's going underwater. Because of that kind of uh, climate change that we all are hearing about in the news, this is it affecting this is the first refugees, you might say, Americans that are refugees of this process of climate change. Their island is going underwater. I mean, it's creeping up year by year, and um, fortunately they've been able to secure this grant of $48 million to help relocate the portion of their people that are still living on this island. And they're very subsistence-type folks, hunting, fishing, stuff like this. Um, they don't have a lot of means to be able to do stuff like that. So hopefully this is going to be a... A, a good churn for them. I know that so far there's been a couple of small hitches in it with uh, they were at one time associated you know, very closely with the United Homa tribe, United Homa nation there, and have kind of been, you know, the relationship between the two groups has been uh, kind of evolving. So there, uh, there's some dispute as to how the funds will be dispersed and stuff like that. But it's good news that they've secured those funds. And that's kind of uh, some of the big news from the last few weeks as far as in Indian country with that 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 issue um, a new movie is coming out that I find very interesting and I think anybody with an interest in our area as far as hybrid peoples and identity and mixed race and things like this this new movie Free State of Jones that's coming out with Matthew McConaughey is about a community very much like our own in a lot of ways to where you have different races of people who chose to live together, fight together, and work together to create a, a community that was safe and accepting and stuff of everyone. And uh, it was founded by a, a former, you know, a slave owner, Newton Knight, and this is in jo uh, Jones County, Mississippi, where it unfolds during the American Civil War. And, you know, things being what they were during the Civil War, we all have a pretty good idea of how that how that was. Uh, folks in this area chose to band together and defend each other. And it says that a, you know, a, a Newton Knight led a small group of local farmers, uh, local slaves, uh, other people in the community uh, in throwing out Union forces or throwing out Confederate forces and uh, declaring a free state in that area. And that the Confederacy was not going to pull some of the antics that it pulled there that, it, you know, had pulled in other places. And subsequently to the conflict, uh, Newton Knight married a, a freed a freed woman named Rachel and established a large mixed race community that's still still in that area. So, like a lot of our communities, it sounds like this this community there in Mississippi, even today, the descendants of these folks have a lot to be proud of. And I'm glad that it's getting some national coverage. That it's not a cookie cutter history, and that you have these very unique stories. And this is just one example. This Free State of Jones that comes out June 24th, but we're talking about many dozens of such communities across the, the, the eastern United States that have much longer histories than, than this one, so to speak. But 
are generally unknown. So anytime I see something like this surface, like this movie Free State of Jones, I think it's a good thing because it, it makes people more aware of the subtleties and the intricacies of our history as, as communities of people. And if you think about it, uh, of Americans, you know, that, that we're Americans and this is really a big part of what it means to be American. So I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that movie is going to be as, as good as it seems it will be. And we'll, we'll send those kind of messages. When I saw on, uh, Netflix and some of those, the, the red road that they had on there, it's about another community like ours, uh, it's up in New England. I was glad to see that, that I'm like, you know, finally some of our communities are getting at least some uh, exposure on the national scene, and that's that's pretty cool. That, that's a, an accomplishment, I think. Yes. Um, well, you know, uh, the Melungeons have a movie. Uh, it's a full-length movie, isn't it, Scott? Uh, Melungeon Voices. Uh, yes, Melungeon Voices. Uh, it's... Uh, it's uh, uh, excellently done. Um, there, there was a movie too that came out in the theaters this year. I, I wish it touched on Melungeon more, but it's based on a novel. Uh, we reviewed it in in our uh, newsletter, uh, Big Stone Gap. Um, it's about the Melungeons in that area, um, and um, based on a, a, a novel by. Um, uh, Someone from Big Stone Gap, but uh, yes, they're, they're, the the Melungeon Voices is is the movie that uh, we have. It's it's the authentic movie. Yeah, and that's by Julie Williams Dixon. Yes, and Julie, she has Julie a Williams website Dixon. where you can order that movie, and she also will um, come and preview the movie uh, on special occasions. And so uh, that uh, Melungeon Voices, I have a copy of that, and I felt that she did such a fabulous job of really getting down to that particular community without the hype, and 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 really presented the Melungeons in a in a beautiful way. Uh, and so I hope that anybody interested in the Melungeon would visit her site. And I, I don't know what the just like you said earlier, Google Melungeon Voices by Julie Williams Dixon. Uh, Stacy, yeah, I yeah, need look, to mention. I've, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I think I'm, I'm looking at it online, and it says uh, um, you have a MelungeonVoices.com is one of the listings there, and then of course on the mm-hmm. on the Melungeon Heritage Association, you have a one there also that's a, you know about it and stuff, but. Looks like it's pretty easy to find on Google. Fabulous. Um, uh, I forgot to mention that um, Friday night we have a reception at the Southwest uh, Historical uh, Museum in Big Stone Gap, and uh, Julie is going to be speaking. She's an excellent. uh, She did uh, excellent work in producing this movie, Melungeon Voices. And she also is an excellent photographer, and she will uh, be displaying, uh, exhibiting her her photographs called "People and My People," and it will be pictures of photos she's taken of of uh, people holding a a an old photo of their Melungeon uh, ancestor. So that will be really interesting, and she will. Uh, also initiate a discussion Friday evening on on using photographs to to document uh, family history and Melungeon history. So um, I look forward to that. Um, uh, Julie's coming and, and presenting and exhibiting her um, photos. Absolutely, I'm glad to. Yeah, definitely. She's, she's wonderful to be around. Yeah. Well, we're definitely getting a lot more exposure than used to in a lot of different ways. I, I hear several stories, you know, the last couple of years from NPR and sources like that about the Melungeon people, about different communities. I even heard one the other day on this very uh, group. We're mm-hmm. talking about the Biloxi Chittimaca Choctaws uh, thing. Fortunately, at our at our ceremonial ground here, we have a one of their tribal members that's a, 
a member of our ceremonial ground. He kind of keeps us up with what's going on with that. But it was good to see it get national coverage, and, and it was good to hear that they had got that grant to, to relocate because that's a, that's a rare thing that you get some help in preserving your, <laughs> your community. Um, one other thing that I was wanting to touch on was we're looking towards a, a, a new book coming out, um, The Indians of Alabama, A Guide to the State-Recognized Tribes of the Yellowhammer State. And I wanted to get this book out because I, I, I saw a lack of having materials that were kind of handy as far as you have nine tribes in, in Alabama that have a, a, a status, federal recognized or state recognized, as well as several groups that, that don't have a status. And, um, you know, as far as having a small tome that would really be a, a, a reference and a, if you haven't heard of it and stuff, an interesting read relating to these groups, some of them fairly well-known and stuff, others you may not have ever even heard of as far as uh, that there's that many Indian tribes in Alabama. And it's taken a while for these uh, these groups in Alabama to come together and for the Alabama Indian Affairs Commission to to evolve to a, a voice that represents and advocates for these these groups. Um, and so I wanted to just get a small volume together to where, you know, handily right there, maybe it can be used in classrooms as well, uh, in communities as far as uh, workshops, stuff like that, and just generally reading if you're interested in tribes in different states. Um, in this country, you're either federally recognized, state recognized, or you're not recognized. And so for a state like Alabama to have one federally recognized tribe, the Porch Band, and, you know, many state-recognized groups, the, the Echota Cherokee and the Machace Lower Creeks and Southeastern Muscogee Nation and MOA and these groups, uh, it, it's good that there be a book that, you know, it's all in one book there that you can say, okay, here we go, and this is where they're from. Okay, pretty cool. And uh, the fact that the Port Span has a federal, rec- a federal reservation and that MOA has a state reservation uh, and the other groups are working on land bases and stuff of their own, stuff like that. It's also a book like this is a snapshot in time. I remember during my undergraduate work, we used a book called uh, A Guide to the Indian Tribes of Oklahoma, and we were looking at uh, this book was written, you know, many decades ago, and the evolution and the time frame from when that book had been written to the state of Indian tribes, 37 federally recognized Indian tribes in Oklahoma today, was night and day. And I'm like, why are we even using this book? It's so out of date. And, you know, Indian country moves fast and identity moves fast because some of these groups, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago weren't known as, you know, the Moa Band of Choctaw Indians. They were known as the Alabama Cajuns, you know. And so some of these other groups have mm-hmm. histories as unique communities that you see this evolving uh this evolving organizational structure within communities, sometimes moving in one direction or sometimes another as the, the, the data comes in, in a way. I mean, the people have always known we're people, but when you begin to have genetics, you begin to have genealogy, you begin to have governmental interactions to where you find out more about the, the actual roots of your communities, it affects the community in our time and it so affects the future. So, uh, all of us have a common root, it seems, in, in a lot of the hybrid groups, but uh, some of these tribal groups here from the research I did on the book, they have families that tie into our groups. Sometimes they're not aware of that. Sometimes they're not aware that, you know, well, this family is actually, you know, you find the same family in, in the Melungeons and you find it in the Redbones and you find it in Dominicas in Florida. So uh, hopefully it'll open some eyes. Uh, I saw where... Uh, there was a lot of interest in events as far as preservation of local uh, schoolhouses and local, uh, you know, points of interest like that that is going on. There's a couple of them that I saw while I was researching the book. And I, I think that's great when you have a small town, you have a historic school or historic building, you have a, a native group or, you know, a, a, a local group that comes out and says, this is an important part of our heritage. And uh, I hear of other groups like that that I know of that are preserving their historic buildings, their schoolhouses or their, you know, their community centers or their churches or, you know, these kind of buildings. So uh, there's a little bit of that in there. 
And then I had a good friend named Glenn Simmons, who is a blog, a well-known blogger, and has a uh, it's called uh, um, Life in the Spiral. And you know, as a man practicing a, 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 a way of life rooted in Native American spirituality and stuff, and living as a Native American person, to be from a community that's now viewed as extinct, like one of the communities I highlight that's not state or federally recognized, which is the the Wild Fork Indian community. It's only, you know, uh, 30 miles from, from Porch and from the reservation. Two different groups couldn't have had different fates to where 50 years ago the Porch Band really kind of cowboyed up and started swinging hard for the fences to get recognized, even as Wild Fork kind of just faded away and just the people moved away. And today, you know, it doesn't have much infrastructure and stuff, but its descendants are all over among other groups and on their own. So, uh, you know, for years I've talked with uh, – him about it. And he said uh, he'd be glad to write a forward forward and give some perspectives on, you know, having an identity that is in transition is one way to put it to where, you know, you know where you came from, but you're not sure exactly where you're going as an individual mm-hmm. and as a community when it comes to that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that um, we were kind of not the, the red bones have been a little suppressed for the last few years, but I feel like there's a more community involvement, you know, in Louisiana and East Texas, and and so we're organizing. And I did also want to tell you that um, Charles Laster, he has a he has written a book, uh, but he pulled it off the shelves, I believe, and it was called The Lost Tribes, and it was about the Algonquin tribes. Uh, these smaller groups, and I haven't read the book. He just sent it to me, and I'm going to uh, forward that material to you because I had said we would do a blog talk on his, on these Algonquins, on these small pockets of Algonquin Indians that he is also descended from. And he uh, lived, I believe, in Cincinnati, Ohio, where they were called Red Bones there. And so it was very interesting to me that, uh, that far north that they were actually referred to as red bones. And so um, there's a lot of people stepping up uh, in writing about their their families. Also, you were involved with uh, another book, and Lars Adam, who has a book coming up called Breaking the House of Pamunkey. And tell us about the book that you and Lars participated in, because we haven't talked much about that book. Which one is this, uh, Stacey? Uh, the one that you wrote recently, and not for back in time. Oh, you talking about you talking? Oh, that uh, yeah, it's called. Uh, let's see, it's called. Uh, I know, right? The, we, <laughs> we we will always be. It takes me a minute to remember because they had a title they were set on. And then they kind of changed, you know, they said, we're going to go with this uh, slightly different one. It's called We Will Always Be Here, Native Peoples on Living and Thriving in the South. It's edited by Denise Bate, and they have a uh, kind of like a multi-university press called University Press of Florida. represents, you know, Florida A&M and University of Florida and just a lot of them. And uh, they all use use it. It's a, it's a nice anthology that has several, you know, it's got a a couple of dozen different authors from a lot of the different Gulf Coast Indian communities here and some of them on the Atlantic Coast too. Uh, As far as uh, survival of, you know, Native communities in the South, and it has a real wide um, spectrum. It's not just federally recognized or even just state recognized. There's folks in there that's just the descendants of different tribes of Indians that you know, honor their heritage and maintain their heritage. So it really has a large, uh, you know, it has a large perspective to, to, to share. And I hope that if you, you know, if you are interested in, in those kind of things, that you get a chance to, to check it out. We will always be here, Native peoples on living and thriving in the South. It's it's edited by Denise Bates, and she, she does a lot of good work with a lot of different uh, communities. And she's actually um, an assistant professor with Arizona State University, but, like I said, she was here in Florida working, you know, with the universities here on this. So it's a great, great job that she did, I think. Mm-hmm. 
I, I got my copy and I didn't have it handy, uh, so I couldn't remember the title either. But um, you and another back in time author, Lars Adams, both participated in that book, and so that was that was great. We needed to get that in there, and then Marga Williams, uh, who won uh, a National Genealogical Award for her first book called Miles Lassiter from back in time. She has a book that we hope to work on diligently again uh, the latter part of June as well as your Alabama book and hers is the title is From Hilltown to Streeby and so she's um, got a book coming and uh, you've got a book coming and Lars has got a book coming and the Goins book so We've got a lot in the planning very soon from back in time, and I'm just so proud of every all of us because uh, this has been, uh, you know, a work of the heart. And I know that uh, Scott Withrow uh, will be editing. Uh, are you editing the Goins book, Scott um, Withrow? Uh, uh, well, I can. I can. Um, yeah, okay. I'm not, I didn't I'm not know sure you... certain whether... Yeah. Right. I wasn't um, sure either because we've lost editors. We've lost two editors. Um, you know, just in the last year, we lost Gary Gabe Hart, and then also we lost uh, Don Marler, and he was a great friend of yours and a great scholar for the Louisiana Redbones. Yeah. And so we yeah. we've lost some some great folks this just in this last year, and so everything has been a little hairy carry as to who was going to take up the lead on on some other things and but those are in the planning and I I can't wait. Uh I'm so I'm excited about the trip up here to Nacogdoches and over to Louisiana for the gone to Texas and uh I also forgot to say that that, that reunion gathering there at Tall Barrett is in honor of Gary Gabehart uh, who was with us last year and who was always kind of our leader there, <laughs> our, organ, our community organizer. And so um, we're going to show a large um, PowerPoint made by his daughter um, while we're there. We'll preview that. And so, But that was, that was uh, all of the news that I had to catch up on. You know, I just wanted to make sure we got everybody in here and that, uh, Charles Laster will be either with you or with me. I'd I'd like to send this material to you, and and he's got some great right. information on mixed blood community of okay. Algonquin Indians. So he, he there's uh, there's another one. So good deal. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate this opportunity you've given me to to kind of help move our move our ball forward in this game and and get a. Uh, uh, a chance to experience more things because it's it's I always try to say this is on our shoulders everybody that yeah, you hear these stories of folks doing good work and folks doing the research and putting on conferences attending conferences you hear you hear this talk but it's on each and every one of us as the 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 grandchildren of our ancestors to to do the good work of carrying it on forward another generation and that Sometimes that may be just what's left of the Native American roots of a of a community or a family or something is that you know that that veneration we have for those that came before us is still alive and kicking and is a big part of our identity as Southerners as Americans and as mixed blood people and so I want to encourage you if you you know if you've been thinking about it to go to a conference call up an elder. Um, pick up a, a laptop and start typing a book. I mean, it's not as hard as it seems to make a difference, and it's not as uh, big uh, of a job as it seems when there's a lot of folks working on it. And like we just saw a little while ago, 20 years ago, you know, Scott Sewell didn't know that Scott Witherow and them up there was having a Melungeon conference, but we were having a Dominica conference. And 20 years later, mm -hmm. Look at the books, look at the uh, professors, look at the universities, and look at the uh, things that have taken notice that, hey, this community actually still exists. It's not just a historical footnote. It's, it's a living community of people proud of their heritage, and that's the message I always want to bring home to folks is that I, we have a kind of a little motto down here with our crew, and we say, 
forward together, you know, forward together. That, that, that's the, the nature of tribal identity and the nature of community. And together we will move forward. When you're tired, I'll carry you and vice versa. But we're a people and we move forward, you know. Absolutely. Well, I guess if if there's nothing anybody else uh, wants to add or anything, uh, we'll uh, sign off from this show, and I look forward to the next one on the third Thursday of this month. Absolutely. And And I'm wishing... Go ahead. I want to thank you for letting me be a part and tell everyone about the upcoming Melungeon Union. Yes, sir. Thank you, Scott, for all that you've done and that you're doing. And that it'll, it'll, even when we're gone, there's going to be people that say, "I appreciate the the work that that generation put in." You know, it's. I mean, we're not having to struggle as hard as our ancestors, but it's a different kind of struggle today to honor that identity that that they forged for us and that we carry on. And your kind of your kind of effort is what we need to to see on on a lot of a lot of fronts. You know, a lot of communities and. I'm I'm personally uh, really encouraged by everything I've seen the Melungeon Heritage Association do, and I appreciate that from you. Thank you. Thank you also, Scott, and I look forward to the future on um, Block Talk Radio, and I hope that it helps you uh, and your community stay in touch and stay abreast of okay. current issues and discussion of your legacies. Uh, of your people and your heritage and I look forward to all your shows. Please invite me. <laughs> I sure will. I sure will, Stacy. I appreciate you, hon. And I appreciate you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh huh. Bye bye. I appreciate all our listeners and we will talk to you again on the third Thursday of this month. Take care.